One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and my guest today is the very funny Thomas Middleditch. As we talk about on this week's episode, Thomas is best known for playing Richard Hendricks for six seasons on HBO's Silicon Valley. He portrays that awkward tech nerd so well, in fact, that you would be forgiven for thinking he's actually like that in real life. The desire to break out of that pigeonholed box is why the actor and comedian is so excited to show the world what else he can do in the three new improvised specials that premiered this month on Netflix. Thomas has teamed up with fellow improv comic and previous Last Laugh guest Ben Schwartz to present Middleditch and Schwartz, their live two-man show that he describes as 90% improv, 10% vaudeville act. Not since Whose Line Is It Anyway has improv worked this well on screen. Here's a clip from the opening of one of their three new specials in which the comedy duo explain how it all works. That is a good crowd. Will we disappoint you? Who knows? We don't know. We don't know what will happen. No. Why, Thomas? Because this is a completely improvised show. What does that mean? Everything's made up. What do you mean everything's made up? You say something, I say yes and. (laughs) So if I say something like, these meatballs are really tasty. I go, yes, and they are made of meat. (laughs) And that is improv. (laughs) I hope we get to that meatball scene. Oh, man. It's a good scene. Oh, it's going to be a great scene. Neither one of those people sound like stereotypical Italian people that might run an Italian meatball shop. No, we played it very kind of natural. Very natural. (laughs) But if we get to a meatball scene in the show, (laughs) mamma mia. Before we get to my conversation with Thomas, which also covers his SNL audition and that Playboy interview you may have heard about, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you're watching under quarantine and who you want to hear on the show next. All right, now let's hear my talk with Thomas Middleditch. So yeah, how's your, uh, how's your quarantine life going? Oh, it's great. It's never been better. <laughs> are you in, Love uh, the quarantine. Are you in LA or New York or where are you? Uh, I'm actually, I've been up in Big Bear for a little bit. I I have a little spot up here, so. That's nice, at least. It felt like a good place to be. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm going to go back to LA uh, tomorrow, actually, and just, you know, hang out at home, do the same thing, but in another place. Yeah. Has it felt like being on vacation or just like uh, being isolated during the apocalypse or what? A little bit. I mean, like, honestly, at the beginning, it sort of did because I just finished, like, shooting some pilot, and then I would have been kind of waiting around anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I sort of, like, checked out of news, so I was kind of like, all right, I'm just going <laughs> to sit around and play video games. But it is it is getting a bit more, I don't know, it's, now it's just, it's a, it's, it's a very frustrating experience. You know, you can't, can't, you're so limited in what you can do every day. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, I think you guys had more shows planned that you had to cancel, right? With Middle Ditch and Schwartz. 
Yeah, that was a bummer. It's so it's not it's not a fun notion to uh, pull back on something just in terms of respect to the to the fans, but also like I was looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, they're fun. Yeah, um, but they'll well, come I, around again. Yeah, well, I got to see the the three specials on Netflix, um, which are really fun. Um, and by the time people hear this, they'll be up. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just wanted to kind of dive into that and just to start, um, what do you remember about the the first time that you actually met Ben Schwartz? Um, I met him in, uh, New York. I had just moved from Chicago Mm -hmm. after doing like a, uh, brief stint as an entertainer on a cruise ship (laughs) and I moved to New York and I was just trying to get up as an improviser and a comedian, just doing shows here and there and. Ben and I each thought each other was pretty funny, and we just ended up hanging out. We had two Boots pizza, walking around Manhattan, talking about nonsense. And then we started, there, was this, there used to be this show at UCB in New York called School Night, which was like 11 p.m. on Wednesdays, mm-hmm. where you'd get up and do like eight minutes. And we just like get up and do like crazy, like fast-paced nonsense improv for eight minutes, and then that was that. And then eventually you just kept, kept doing it, evolved to do a longer show, and... At one point, we sort of thought it was a good idea to start doing, you know, tours. And then we had the lofty ambition of, like, let's set our our sights on maybe one day getting a comedy special. Yeah. But so, an I improv mean, comedy special. Two-person improv, I mean, it's not that common, but is that something that you kind of hit on right away, that the idea of the, the two of you doing shows, just, just the two of you? Yeah, I think that's how it started out with us. And we just liked how agile you can be in terms of where you want to go mm-hmm. with every move. Just with two, There's only one other brain that has to latch on to what yeah. you're thinking. And also with two person, with two people, you don't, you don't, you're not, off, you're never off stage, like waiting and figuring out like, okay, what's in the next scene? Like that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. You're just always mm-hmm. there. You're always in like, it. <laughs> yeah. I like that. It, it allows, it doesn't allow me the chance to like rest, which I think is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just I think the two person thing is just we we just enjoyed doing it and we it was we got each other's sensibilities so we managed to just stick with that and we treat it like ninety percent improv show ten percent like sort of vaudeville duo yeah we break the fourth wall and just fuck with each other yeah um, what was there a time that you felt like you really clicked together on stage just the two of you was it the first time or was it was it later or how, how do you no it was, I, honestly it's the first time like yeah for, yeah I think there's so many there's a lot of option when you are in the improv world of like mm-hmm. who you want to perform with there's yeah. lots of people and I've performed I've been lucky enough to perform with a lot of really really great improvisers and uh yeah, just like so. So like, what will what will inevitably click and say, "Hey, I want to do that again." Is just like it was good. Mm-hmm. So if if that first time was a shit show, then we probably wouldn't have kept going. Yeah, uh, for anyone who hasn't been to your live shows or maybe hasn't seen the specials yet when this comes out, um, can you kind of explain how how the shows work the, that you guys do together? Yeah, sure. It's kind of like uh, we will ask the audience um, for some kind of suggestion. Uh, we ask, is there something in your life that you're either looking forward to or dreading in some kind of way? Mm -hmm. And after we get a suggestion, we'll ask some more questions, just get a little bit more context and we'll take everything that we've learned from that person and inspire a completely improvised show. 
it's a show, but I kind of, it's like probably more accurate to call it like a little play almost. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, there's characters that we all play multiple different characters and they all have wants and there's a story to be told. And the the show kind of ends when we feel like the story is kind of concluded and feels, you know, satisfying, but it's, uh, it's absurdity along the way, typically. Yeah, I mean, in in one of the specials at the beginning, I think it's Ben who says, you know, usually you say the show exists just for this audience on this night in this moment, and and then, but now it's very different when you're taping it for for Netflix. How does that kind of change what it is for you? Because it is improv is is generally this very ephemeral thing that hasn't always worked when it's recorded. Yeah. I don't know, because I, I, I don't at this point, I don't want to say uh, mission accomplished, like when <laughs> <Yeah>. we did it, <laughs> you know? I just, I certainly had some analysis going into it, and I think mm-hmm. we both did, of being like, okay, well, these are some things to avoid, and these are some things to, like, make sure we have. We wanted to make sure we had, like, a ton of cameras so everything could mm-hmm. be captured and you're never wanting for an angle, just technically. Uh, we wanted to make sure it felt big, so, like it, it wasn't just done in a 100 seat theater, like typical improv cabaret space. We wanted to feel like, oh no, this is a comedy special. There's mm-hmm. like a big crowd out there. Here we go yeah. on a stage that feels big. And I think, I don't know, it's, you know, what, what we've fallen into is its own particular method of doing long form improv. There's other methods where you have like eight people on the back line and mm-hmm. they all, you know, it's like a different scene and then they swap out in a different scene. And you're kind of like coming up with all these different premises. That's one way of doing it. I'm not, uh, we will find out if the way we've done it <laughs> feels easier to digest for people who don't know improv or are wait, is waiting for like an improv comedy special to suck. So, yeah, yeah. We'll see. Um, I mean, probably the most famous taped uh, TV improv is Whose Line Is It Anyway, which is a very different yeah. kind of thing, which is these short form games. Totally different, and, but totally, it totally works. And honestly, that show got me into improv. Uh, yeah. Um, but it, it totally works. I also think, and they're kind of an inspiration to us too, is TJ and Dave, there's these legendary Chicago improvisers mm-hmm. of a sort of a generation before, but they're still, they still have like really, they perform all the time in Chicago. But anyway, they had like a documentary made about them. I think it's called like, this is all made up, I think. But, you know, it's, it's not a huge budget, but once they get into the actual show, they did a really good job of like coverage and cadence and stuff. And like the, the notion of making the audience feel, not feel like, they're watching a show actually mm-hmm. kind of like calmly bring the audience into the scenes as if it were, uh, I don't know, like a single camera or something. You'll notice like in this, in the specials, we have a lot of, we, we play the wides a little bit to show physical comedy, mm-hmm. but we'll bring you into the scene a lot. And we yeah. didn't want shaky cameras to be like, well, cool <laughs> action. you know, none of that stuff. Yeah, I mean that that makes it very different from going to the live show where you're just in your you know spot far away and you're just seeing it. You know, yes, but when you're experiencing it, you're in you that that sense of being there actually there is like you're you feel like it, you're you're in the scene because you're paying attention to it much more closely mm-hmm. than you are potentially mm-hmm. at home. So I I would argue that the by bringing it into like the two shots and the singles and stuff, it 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 gives you a more like in the theater experience mm-hmm, than mm-hmm. like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. <laughs> none of that stuff, right? Um, so yeah, you mentioned that, you know, watching shows like Whose Lines It Anyway got you into improv. What was your earliest experience doing improv? 
honestly, it was around that time. I was, I'm very fortunate. Like in Canada, in, in a lot of schools there, you can get involved in something called theater sports, which is mm-hmm. like comedy sports. I don't know if you've ever heard of that comedy sports. Yeah, it's yeah. like short form games. There's like referees and like teams and stuff like that. But like my middle school had a, had a theater sports team. Oh, wow. And it was like, we were very fledgling. Like we were like, it, it was a small town in the middle of nowhere, Canada. And so it was pretty much a group that we did and occasionally played, played with other schools. But at one point I did remember we made it to like the provincials. Mm-hmm. This just like state, state finals. So it was actually a competition. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like a way that you can get kids doing it. It's like mm-hmm. there's some competition element. And if you go blue, you get like a bag on your head. Like there's all <laughs> these like bizarre rules and stuff. So I, I can sort of say that I've been like, I don't know. I don't know how many years eighth grade is from now, but it's over mm-hmm. 20. It's 20, yeah. 22, three or something like, I don't know. Did you love yeah, it so right away? Yeah. I mean, for me, that was all in conjunction with starting to do theater and performing and stuff. So like finally the weird kid who was getting picked on had an outlet. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it became pretty important to me. And then in Toronto, there was a little, little bit more outlet for it, but still it was like short form. And only when I went to Chicago and started doing stuff at IO or Improv Olympic, mm-hmm. formerly I formerly Improv Olympic, yeah. uh, is when I sort of saw what long form could be and like it, the, the kind of like the art form of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, it became pretty, it became like my method of delivering comedy. So. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned uh, your your job on the cruise ship. That was with Second City. Yeah, yeah, a lot of Second City cats have done that that gig. It's <laughs> so it's what, a weird one. What is that one. like? Yeah. Well, uh, the job is you do like archived sketches from the Second City mm, repertoire, so like yeah. old sketches that like Steve Carell did and stuff mm-hmm. like that, like from from old times, and then some short form improv at like the lounge. And for me, when I was doing it, that was it. That was all the job requirement was. So I worked about like four hours a week, maybe five, (laughs) and then had the rest of the time off. So it was like, it was a lot of like boozing Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like passing the time, working on that tan and just hanging out. It was a mixture of like feeling lonely and trapped because you're like, yeah, you're in a luxury prison. (laughs) Like you can't leave, (laughs) but it's like, it's nice. Um, and then also just having a good time. Like there's other entertainers there. Everybody's mm-hmm. just like, it, 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 it was pretty fun actually. Yeah. It was when, also a very surreal experience. Like yeah. it, there's, you can check sure. out of life and live in a floating hotel. It's and how long are you there at a time on the, on the ship? Uh, our contract was four months, but there are people wow. who get six month, eight month and a year contracts. Mm-hmm. There's people who renew and live like there's a cruise director we knew and he was, yeah. he was a bit cheesy and he, he's he been at sea for like five years. Wow. It's just like, that's crazy. You just yeah. don't live in real life. I also think it's like in hindsight, one of the grossest ways to travel and see the world. Like if you're thinking yeah. about going on a cruise ship as a customer, don't. It's awful. Yeah, especially now. I mean, cruises have become uh, pretty terrifying in this year. Yes. <laughs> but even outside of Corona, they're environmentally destructive and you go to a place where you're like, oh, cool, let's go find the treasures of this place. And you leave the boat with like two, 3,000 other people yeah. and you're yeah. all going, yeah, it's a zombie <laughs> horde gobbling up in these like hot spots because you only have about five hours until you got to get mm. back on the boat. Yeah. But at the time, it must have been a pretty good job for, for an It was a fast comedian. Job. It was a good life experience, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't think I developed too hard, too much as a comedian or even as a, I think I developed a lot as like a, 
like the, the, you know, the creative side needs input from life in order to like Mm -hmm. churn away. Mm -hmm. And I think I got that out of it for sure. Yeah. And is it, is it true that that led in some way to a Saturday Night Live audition? Indirectly. It yeah. just, it coincided. It's bizarre. Like I'd been, I was actually at the point in my time in Chicago where like I was very impatient and, you know, nothing was happening. And so I was kind of like, like I was performing a lot, but mm-hmm. I was maybe going to like take this time on the cruise ship to think about what I wanted to do next. Like maybe mm-hmm. go back to Canada, study video games or something. Like, yeah. And, um, uh, like the first week I got on there, uh, the reps from Saturday Night Live went to Chicago. We're planning on coming to Chicago and like showcasing people. And I was like, what the hell? Because I knew I'd have been on that showcase. So I caused a big stink and I flew out back to Chicago, showcased mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, and eventually tested. And I was like on the cruise ship working out my characters and yeah and impressions. And I like walked off the cruise ship, did the audition, and like went back on. And it, it, you know, it was promising for a second, but obviously it didn't happen. So. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what you, what characters or impressions you did at your audition? Not all of them. I remember I did this character where it was like, a was just like eight year old boy doing stand up, and he was just talking about like moving his peas around the plate mm-hmm. to then to his dad that he'd eaten all this food. Just pretty, pretty silly stuff. And then like, I think my one, one of my impressions was was Seth Meyers, and it's just like, hi, I'm Seth Meyers. Mm-hmm. There we go. Mm-hmm. And then. <laughs> I think I did Chris Martin from Coldplay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was fun. I actually enjoyed it. You know, like the, the, the whole lead up, they're like, you know, mm-hmm. if they don't laugh, you know, don't don't let it shake you. Just keep going. And right. they laughed. I had a good time. Yeah. It was fun. That's what I've heard from a lot of people is that they warn you that they're not going to laugh and then they laugh and that the whole, that whole setup is to make you feel better somehow. Yeah. But I also think it's to warn you just in case they don't. In case they, they do don't. Know that yeah. The, some auditions go tits up pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, was that always a show that you that you watched growing up, or that you had ideas about being on, or did you never even imagine that that could be in, think, in your future? I think for a comedian of a certain type, like a character comedian, a sketch comedian, SNL, especially when you're like young on the bottom looking up, SNL mm-hmm. is like this like it's a gold it's a gold medal at the Comedy Olympics. Mm-hmm. Like you get that and you get to be like the king of New York for your time there. Yeah. Especially if you manage to be on like a good cast and oh my God, it's like, you can be a real game changer. Um, so yeah, at the time I really thought it would be cool, but I also, I think it was like, well, fuck, this is a long shot. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. What was the, what was the first job that you got either for TV or in, in film that you, that you felt like a big deal or that you, that was, you know, something that you said, okay, now I think I can, I can do this as a profession. <laughs> I never feel like that. <laughs> you, <laughs> you still don't feel like that? in my career, I, that doesn't exist with me. Or maybe even just it felt like a big deal at the time that you, that you got a... Uh, well, uh, I mean... Honestly, that that at that time when I was walking around after ju- ever, after just having done that SNL audition, I was walking. Um, I got new agents because like something happens, right? You get SNL, you, you're mm. going to test now. Yeah. Agents, I get new agents, yeah. and in order to prove that they're new agents, they set up all these like general meetings mm-hmm. at like the networks, like ABC and stuff. And I'd never been on any of those things. So you go essentially, you go and you sit down, you talk to people. And like casting directors mm-hmm. and I was I was coming from my audition and I had like this skateboard helmet which is like part of the kid who does stand up 
costume. And yeah. they're like, what's with a skateboard helmet? Uh, did you skate here? And I was like, no, I just did my audition for SNL. And I was like, <laughs> I would never do this now. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I don't know, I was a young and ultra confident and on cloud nine because I thought it went well. I was mm-hmm. like, I just do my SNL audition. You want me to do it for you? <laughs> and I would never, ever do it, do that now. But anyways, yeah. I ended up doing my SNL characters and stuff for... Um, the networks and ABC got me a, offered me a holding deal, which was I thought was like I didn't know what that was, but yeah, they pay you to not play. I guess is the easiest layman's words. Yeah, um, and that was really exciting. So that was like the first thing I was like, holy shit! And then the, and then I moved to New York with this deal, and mm-hmm. then I don't know if you remember there was a writer's strike. I forget what year right. that was. Yeah, like, and then I was seven, sort of, eight, like that. Yeah. yeah, so I was just sort of sat there with this holding deal, but nothing to audition for. Yeah, so <laughs> so the holding deal didn't actually lead to anything. No, I mean I I got paid, but that was about yeah, it. that's not bad. Yeah, keep doing improv. Uh-huh. Um, so I think this these specials for people who only know you as Richard Hendricks from Silicon Valley, which I would guess there are people like that. I think the, yeah, these specials the are real. <laughs> yeah, they're the Verizon guy. It's a real revelation because you're playing all these different characters and you're, you know, showing that you're not this character. Is that something that you that you think about? I mean, you couldn't have known when you took that role how much it would define your your career and how you're yeah. perceived, right? Yeah. Oh, well, I'm definitely aware of it, and I'm excited about it. Like mm-hmm. again. I will be less excited about it if for some reason they come out and everybody widely agrees that they were total pieces of garbage. But like <laughs> if, if if the specials come out like and I have the same experiences like how I have the live shows, which mm-hmm. seem very successful. Yeah. Um, I'm excited that pe- that anyone could be like, whoa, Richard Hendricks does all these weird characters. You know, mm-hmm. I don't that that's exciting to me because I yeah. think as an actor, when you get if you get one of those roles, um, that sort of feel defining in some way, or at least like pigeonholing and, or I don't know, boxing, whatever term you want to mm-hmm. use, you're always eager to show the other aspects of you. I feel like the, these specials are more or a more truer version of my comedic mm-hmm. self than yeah. anything else. But I also think that the, that the character on Silicon Valley is a testament to your acting ability too. Cause it's so people really believe that you're that guy, <laughs> like from watching yeah. the show, you know, um, Thank you. Yes, I know. That... There are lots of people not realizing that I'm playing a <laughs> character. Your roommates are really funny. I like them. They gave me a little shit. Oh well, you can't take that personally. Oh, it's fine. They gave you shit too. Oh really? What about like um, like my hair or something? No, they tried to convince me you were some sort of formatting Nazi about tabs versus spaces. What me? A Nazi? <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> That's what I said. I mean, I use spaces, so what? Mm. Yeah, so what? <laughs> See, they said you'd have a hissy fit if you found out. Mm-mm. Hissy fit? Me? No. <laughs> I know. You know. <laughs> I know. I mean, make up your mind, guys. Am I a Nazi or am I a guy who throws hissy fits? You know? <laughs> am I a Nazi who throws hissy fits? Uh, I hope not. That was Hitler. <laughs> that was, was like his whole deal. I mean, that's pretty insensitive to the Holocaust, don't you think? Because that's like what Hitler did. You know, he just like killed so many people. So tragic. Such a tragic time. Yeah. I'm so glad we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> I mean, we. Like I, like, I was, you know, whoa, I, I, I want them all to die. I don't. I don't care. I mean, I do care. Don't. Don't kill them. Them. Jews. Uh, anyway, what, what do you want to, what do you want to order here? How much of that character did come from you as opposed to what was written or, or working with the, the creators of the show? 
well, he's certainly written a certain way. And, but honestly, like how that, how I got into that role is I had just moved to LA and I was, I was working on a show, mm -hmm. an animated show that I created, uh, with MTV with, uh, John Alshuler, Dave Krinsky and Mike Judge, the people who created, mm -hmm. uh, Silicon Valley. So as that, as I was working on this anime show, they were just kind of like, Hey man, we're doing this show. Uh, it's about like computer programmers for HBO. You'd be great for the lead. And I'm like, yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Mike judge is saying, you're going to be the lead of this HBO show. That's insane. But it sort of ended out like that, that they were not bullshitting. So they kind of wrote it like knowing that I could sort of play the, like a particular mm -hmm. um, type of character. And to be honest, like I've been to a few land parties, uh, you know, like, yeah, uh, I I know I I'm like it, it it's one of us you know like I'm one of that yeah. type of folks but um yeah you had some insight to bring to it I did I did and also you know just in the end I just wanted to make sure he was like a believable uh, odd oddling coming up Thomas talks about what's next for him now that Silicon Valley is over and he also addresses that wild Playboy interview about how swinging saved his marriage. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Has it been strange to kind of move on from the show now that it's over? I mean, you have this project, obviously, that you're working on, you know, that's out now. And, um, you know, I'm sure there are other things coming up, you know, hopefully when everyone gets back to work. Um, yeah. But is it odd to to have that dominate your life for so long and then kind of be like, okay, now what? It is a bit, you know, there's a little bit of anxiety of kind of like trying to figure out, oh boy, what's next? Like, mm -hmm. I'm not immune to panic. That's yeah. today, I'm sure. Um, but it's exciting, you know? It just mm -hmm. means opportunity. It just means a chance to, like, kind of do something new because as fun as Silicon Valley was, um, you know, I want to try other things as well. Mm -hmm. so is there I'm any... Doing more... Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, is there anything coming up that you either, you know, already shot or that you're planning to do that you're excited about? Um, there's a couple, there's a bunch of stuff in development. I mean, like a number one, the, the, the stuff that I'm doing with Ben is the most yeah. immediately exciting stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I voice, I got a voice that I'm doing a voice in, uh, Justin Roiland's new animated show, Solar Opposites on Hulu. That's going to be fun. There's a couple things in development. One is an animated show that I'm developing at, uh, at, at Amazon that's mm -hmm. in the earliest possible stages. Uh, some films and uh, I shot a Chuck Lorre 
CBS like multicam pilot just oh, before yeah? this this <laughs> lockdown happened. So I guess we've got an extended wait period, but maybe yeah. that might get picked up and that might be a new journey to go on. We'll what see. was that experience like? Because that must have felt very different from uh, Silicon Valley. It's very different. Yeah. It's kind of like performing performing a play. Like, mm. you know, it's all in a proscenium. You kind of like, you deliver not only to this person, but to an audience there. Um, there's timing. There's like a rhythm mm. that you rehearse and then do. Um, it's very much like performing a play, I thought. Is there anything else you can share about that that show? Is there, whether it's the premise or other people involved, I don't know what you're allowed to say. Yeah, I, well, it's like, a, it's called Be Positive and it's like a, a guy, a guy finds out that he needs a kidney transplant mm. and gets the only person that sort of volunteers to do it is like this absolute whirlwind of a mess of a person that he knew back in high school. And it's mm. kind of, it's a, it's like an oddball uh, couple pairing. This, um, oh god, blanking. Annalie Ashford plays mm, the, yeah, the yeah. female lead. She's great. Broadway actress. Yeah, yeah, super great. She was so funny. Like you know, you only, I only know her from like shooting the pilot and rehearsing. Yeah. but I was like, wow, this is she's That's great. Cool, yeah. So uh, it's our hope that you know we can develop this kind of like. Uh, you know, Ricky and Lucy kind of <laughs> <laughs> lots nice. of physical stuff. I'm always pushing physical humor. I think it, in multicam, especially, it's a great opportunity for physical comedy. So when I do these interviews and have people on the show, I usually try to research the person and read all of the past interviews they've done. I'm sure you're aware of this. When you Google your name now, the only thing that comes up are stories about how swinging saved your marriage and the Playboy interview. Uh, did you expect that to go so far and wide? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, and to be honest, it's a thing that I kind of, I wish I could take back, to be really? honest. It was, yeah, it was poor execution. Mm-hmm. But I've learned, honestly, to keep things a little bit more close to the chest. So yeah. I think it was the a learning experience. Is, yeah, it's a painful one, to be honest. So really? I think the best thing I could do is kind of just try and move on and talk yeah. more about Metal dish and shorts and be positive and whatever else. And just, yeah. Yeah. I get that. I mean, yeah, these things, you know, can, it is, I, it must be very strange when you say something like that in one interview and then it gets blown up everywhere else. Cause I think Wasn't if, it, if it, had, it if it had stayed in the one place, it probably wouldn't have been as big of a, a deal. Yeah. It's, it's disheartening. It's embarrassing. And, um, it's changed my relationship with the media and what I think about it and how, what my relationship is with it. So anyway, it's made you, it's made you more cautious in what you're willing to, to talk about publicly. Correct. All right. Um, that, that the, the other part of the interview that did catch my eye that I, I was curious to hear more about is your day uh, shooting guns with Alex Jones. <laughs> Cause you, you kind of mentioned that, but then didn't say much more about it. Is that, uh, yeah, well, I don't want to you... be, I mean, it was, it was weird in the sense that like that day he was an incredibly generous person. Like mm-hmm. he had the amount of energy that I thought like only cokeheads had, like it was just <laughs> yeah. so intense, but he was super nice. Like he, we shot this massive gun, which mm-hmm. probably each round is like, I don't know, 200 bucks. Or something. It was like so bizarre. And then he left, he like drove us away, which was nice of him to do. And then I was, the whole time I was like, man, I know this guy. Cause this is mm-hmm. like 
the only thing I'd seen was him like yelling at Pierce Morgan to like join the Republic and everything. Um, <laughs> but I actually thought he was a really nice guy, which makes me kind of wonder what his whole Infowars thing is. Yeah, there if was he, that. If he yeah. believes it or not, and it would be a, it's a shame either way. Like if it's mm-hmm. it's, it's a shame if he believes that. Sandy Hook or something was like an inside job. And it's also tremendously off-putting if he doesn't. And he's just Mm -hmm. doing that to like sell protein powder. Yeah. Well, I think he has said in depositions that he's playing a character. That's his defense when he gets sued. So, Right. Well, it's it's upsetting because that day he was a nice guy and I I wish (laughs) he could just be that instead. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So what I want to do now um, is kind of go through some of the credits in your career that we haven't talked about and see if there's just a story or a memory that kind of comes to mind. Um, So the first one that I wanted to touch on uh, was The Other Guys, which was an early uh, film that you did, the Adam McKay film. Um, And you had a a great scene with with Mark Wahlberg. Um, What what, what do you remember about about shooting that? It was, yeah, it was a great experience. It was so fun. I mean, I actually managed to do two Adam McKay films later on at the Mm -hmm. campaign as well. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was just like the one scene, me and Horatio Sands and Mark Wahlberg. And that was like, I think at the time, the biggest movie I'd been a part of. So I was like, wow, look at all the stuff they have. You know, mm-hmm. like, there's so much resources yeah. that are going into it. But I knew I only just had the one scene and that scene didn't make it into the, into the theatrical version. Oh, I was really? disappointed. Yeah, you only see it in like the DVD extras. Yeah, or like the and it's on there. YouTube. So uh, people can oh, check it there out you, there. <laughs> there you go. Actually, we don't do that here. This is an installation art piece. This coffee table? Yes, we don't put drinks on it. Hmm. 500,000? He can read. Congratulations. What? I'm sorry, are you in the right place or not? Uh, oops. Is he? Okay. Well, sorry. You, uh, you did some voice work for Beavis and Butthead, right? How did yeah? That's also I, with in Mike the, in the reboot. In the reboot, which was at the same time that I was developing my show and stuff, mm-hmm. that they brought back Stuart and I played the new voice of Stuart, which mm-hmm. is like their weird meddling sort of friend they know from high school. Was that a show that you watched growing up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like at the time where you kind of had to catch it because there's no mm-hmm. DVR yeah, or whatever. Exactly. But like when I caught it, I loved, I loved yeah. it. So it was fun to to kind of go into that world after watching it growing up. Yeah, that was great. Any any chance at that point and forevermore to work with Mike Judge, I shall. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask about your your role on the the episode of The Office called The Farm, which was widely reported to be a sort of backdoor pilot for for that was going to be a spinoff show um, about the uh, beet farm, the shroot farm. Um, yeah. What was what was that uh, what was that experience like doing that show, and then kind of what what happened and what was, was it in your head then that it was going to be a show that you would, that you would be on? I don't know. I don't know if, I don't think I was placing too much faith in it because it sort of felt like they were, they themselves were kind of like, well, try it. Yeah. Um, and then when I saw the episode and saw how little of the potential of the, of a new show they used and, and just yeah. how much they just sort of made it look like a normal episode. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. You knew it wasn't um, going to happen. Yeah. It was, it also still felt so weird that like how many show, how many seasons was that? Nine, 10, 11. Yeah. I don't know how many. Off, the very last one, they're finally just learning about Dwight's brother. <laughs> it, just felt, <laughs> it felt weird. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, and then the last one I wanted to ask about is The Wolf of Wall Street, um, which I, I know is another thing you get recognized for sometimes um, <laughs> as the yeah. bow tie guy. Um, bow tie guy. So you get you get screamed at by Jonah Hill in that scene. Um, yeah. So and working with uh, Scorsese. So what was that like? It was uh, it was honestly really cool. I mean, if that is my only chance to work with Scorsese, I'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> it probably will be. <laughs> let's be honest. But there was a lot of interesting things, you know, like you know, just you just meet like you met very briefly. You meet, I met Leonardo DiCaprio, and mm-hmm. like he's tall, he's handsome, he's charming, he just like uses it, and you're like, I get it, I get yeah. why you're this like incredibly <laughs> charismatic, like watchable movie star because you just just shaking hands, I'm like, hold me, you know, like, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's like a force, right? And Scorsese was everything I wanted him to be, like. He would like he would he has this like British a, a, uh, assistant director who comes in and he's like all right in twenty minutes the gov's gonna come in here like short for the governor you just gotta give everyone notes and he and then here here he comes little guy he's like yeah that's great do it again try something new all right bye and he's just like lots of energy it's awesome did he give you any notes yeah I mean he just wanted me to I was there to serve you know, Jonah, that, that, mm. that's, that was my role. I mean, I was happy that we even got to play with it because in the script, the bow tie guy had like a line. Mm. And so what evolved was just like this extended sort of moment, which was, which was cool. That's cool. And then, the, and then in the end, I had some friends that were like screaming insults at me because I mm. knew a couple people in the cast. Yeah. And then the extras were like, oh, we're allowed to do that. And then there's <laughs> like, so when I get yelled out of the room, everyone's just like, just taking liberties with calling a very personal insult. Hi. How you doing? Good. Maybe you clean the fishbowl? I, I just, I had a minute and I... You had a minute? And today you needed to clean the fishbowl today? I had finished my paperwork and I was, so just had a couple minutes. Okay. Nice to meet you. A new issue day! A cock-sucking motherfucking new issue day! This is what you do! Hey, everybody, listen up! This is what happens when you fuck with your pets on new issue day! Take your little bow tie. Get your shit and get the fuck out of my office, you understand? Get the fuck out! Everybody on point! So uh, we end every episode by asking uh, comedians, who, who, is a, who is another comedian who makes you laugh the hardest uh, on stage or off? There might be an obvious answer to this, uh, but I, I don't know if uh, someone who, who really gets you that, you, that you've worked with or, or just that you've, that you've seen. Well, I'd have to say, honestly, Ben's one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach Woods is one of them. Kumail is one of them. Kumail's just very clever and funny in real mm-hmm. life. He's a good person to just hang out and do just jokes with. It's very yeah. funny. I love your I love your relationship with uh, with Zach Woods on Silicon Valley. Is there any story that that comes to mind about him where he really uh, made you laugh? either during shooting or in other 
scenario? Yeah, he he he's, he's, he comes very, he came very prepared. Like he would always come with all these kind of like ideas to throw out, and I was like, I've always felt so <laughs> like such a bad actor because I was just like, huh, you have ideas? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> and he, yeah, he, uh, yeah, he, he, I don't, yeah, he would just catch us off guard with some of these improvs mm-hmm. that he would do. So those are pretty funny. Yeah, he's hilarious. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much for for doing this, and congrats on the specials. I can't wait for for more people to check them out. Um, no problem. I think they're they're really fun. Okay. And, cool. Uh, Thanks. Good luck, good luck with the with your move back to to LA. Yeah, you got <laughs> Hope it. Hope it goes it'll, well. It'll be pretty straightforward. <laughs> All right. Thanks again to Thomas Middleditch for coming on today's show. You can stream the three Middleditch and Schwartz improv specials on Netflix right now. If you like this show, please tell your friends and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at thedailybeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Red Rock Music. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.